Welcome to the New Models Podcast. We are in the studio today with Kia Kreutler and Matt Dryhurst. Kia is a Berlin-based researcher who works on strategy at Gnosis, a company that builds market mechanisms on Ethereum. And Matt, who is also based in Berlin, wears many different hats. For one, he is a music producer. He also teaches tech, theory, and music, among other things, at NYU. The name of his class is Surviving the Future. Matt and Kia are both central to the Berlin crypto scene, particularly the intersection of crypto and post-digital culture. Also on the cast today are your New Models hosts, Little Internet, Daniel Keller, and myself, Caroline Busta. Heads up that Dan's dog, Vova, is also here, so you might hear him entering the conversation at a few points. One note before we jump in, Matt and Kia are joining us here as friends rather than as representatives of the professional organizations they work with. So I want to make it extremely clear that all views of Matt and Kia heard on this podcast are their own and not representing the views of their employers. All right, let's get into it. I think Berlin has the only like genuinely cool crypto scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Like Berlin's the only place. You like, can say crypto in Berlin and people don't like cringe. Berlin crypto is surviving the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. It's actually the, that's something I try and communicate to people. Like when I talk about it, I'm like, I actually feel like there's a confluence of interests in Berlin. You guys included, everyone here actually included that constitutes somewhat of a subculture where you've managed to, uh, everyone has managed to somehow like weed out the assholes. Yeah. Like there's just a very like high, nice kind of optimistic person to asshole ratio. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause when you mentioned crypto anywhere else, like I'm almost embarrassed to mention it anywhere else, but here it, it, you know, there's good people. It's like a good conversation. Yeah, the yeah. context feels entirely different in any other major city. I also think it's probably the scene that has the most people coming from other disciplines or other backgrounds that have just kind of ended up in this bucket of a little bit of weirdness um, that you can't find in New York or SF that are the kind of, um, you know, the Lambo on the block, big conferences or otherwise, <laughs> that the really embarrassing cringe crypto exists there. And you don't see that here yet. So we're super happy to have Matt and Kia in the studio today in this Berlin context to talk about Libra because we want to think about it more on a long-term scope, not just what it is in terms of the crypto scene, although I'm definitely interested to, to hear their takes, but what its implications are um, in terms of the global stacks. And if we were to project forward 10 years or so, or the two years, how the social media space might look different and how the world might look different in turn. So that's the scope we're going for here. I guess it probably makes sense just so we have the ground rules to just very quickly say what it is and gives like a bit of a material structure of what Libra is. Well, I heard that Kia read... The whole white paper. I nominate you. I believe the opening line of the introductory white paper says, Libra is a simple global digital currency. And that's the first sentence and it ends there. And the actual kind of explanation that follows doesn't really give that much more detail. <laughs> so essentially it's just a simple gl global digital currency that Facebook wants to run through its applications and also provides a wallet application for 
that that sounds about right. And I mean, I guess the only kind of point of consternation in a sense is that blockchain is a really kind of big word. And so Libra, at least as far as my understanding is, doesn't resemble a lot of blockchains that people might be familiar with, such as Bitcoin, for example. Like maybe for people familiar with something like a Ripple, it looks to me uh, more in that kind of uh, in that kind of domain than the kind of big utopian kind of host a node in your living room blockchain projects that a lot of people fell in love with. So also mm. just a lot of people don't consider something a blockchain if it's not permissionless. So the idea that anyone can run a node or participate in a system. And in this, it's all of the companies that were on the joint press release they all run validator nodes, and only they do with the 10 million that's input. Um, so most people don't consider that a blockchain if it's not permissionless. And it was brought up, and you know, devil in the details with some technical things. Um, you know, are transactions really processed in blocks? Is there really a chain? But that standing aside, one of the best takes that I saw on the use of the word blockchain in the press release was basically um, maybe it has to do with antitrust laws because if you look at so many mega corporates lined up all together to do a kind of conglomerate that. <laughs> That just sends off the antitrust law violation like from the start. But if you say you're all coming together to do a decentralized software protocol where each entity that's involved has meaningful control but not dominated control, and it's actually the users that will buy the currency and produce the currency and not the actual companies that are involved, then you can kind of do this regulatory arbitrage almost and say, look at this, this isn't this isn't something that has like mega corporate control. This is something that the, the software has the power. The software is the institution, not the actual ones. But I, I think that point about antitrust is like, that's good information. That's, that's actually like really interesting in a way, right? And, and also kind of touches on the idea. I've, I've read a bunch of takes talking about how this is actually a play in some kind of proxy conversation with impending regulation. And that's that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, just within the first few sentences of the white paper, it says the reason we've decided to build our own software system is because the existing blockchain software systems haven't done any regulatory innovation and have chosen just to deploy anyway. But I also think that they're kind of taking their, this approach of we just released the press release anyway. Just to give some context, Facebook's, Facebook's the fourth most valuable brand in the world. 2.4 billion monthly users as of Q3. 2018, 1.5 billion are daily, 1 billion are mobile only. 40% of people say they would share their health data with Facebook. So, I mean, this is a really large amount of people. One, one thing I noticed, though, is there's only two mobile companies signed part, partners right now, Vodafone and uh, Iliad in France. Of course, a lot of the takes are saying that this is either going to be like huge and crazy or it's going to be no big deal at all and no one's going to use it. I mean, in terms of the partners, can you assess, give any comp, vote of confidences? Or? One thing I'll say that we might well get into later is reading through the partner list. I also noticed there weren't very many mobile companies there, which might signal their intention to grow even further in that market, obviously with WhatsApp being like a, a Facebook company. The second thing is you might note that there's no Chinese companies on the list. Well, uh, yeah. There's or no Russian. Facebook in China or Russia. Russia was one of the first countries to say they were going to regulate it, I think. And, right. Exactly. But there is a Hong Kong-based uh, uh, company on, on there. Yes. Uh-huh. Which one I, is that? Hong Kong-based oh. crypto wallet, crypto actually. Wallet, yeah. uh-huh. um, Does the Coinbase integration, though, mean like it will there'll be easy on-ramps to, to crypto? Or is that actually unclear? I think it's the intention that it will be one of the first exchanges that Libra is listed on. So, so would Libra then also replace like Tether? I bet not, because like most of those exchanges, Americans aren't legally allowed to use. Increasingly, Binance, <laughs> Binance is gonna 
stop having American customers. Oh, right. There's a bunch of really interesting kind of speculation to be made around this, particularly in its relationship to tra- traditional crypto over at that point yet, right? But why don't we just take what they're saying at face value, right? Like if you watch the, the video, it's quite clear at least the artifice of this play is they're making a position on the global remittances market, right? So cross-border payments. So even though I actually am very open to speculation on the side of that, that in and of itself warrants, I think, it, it's worth honoring their like their public statement in that sense because the remittances play is is massive. You're talking about like you know, hundreds of billions of dollars a year, right? And there have been, so a number of things I've I've been interested in for like a bigger kind of thesis on this is over the past couple of years, looking at different plays that companies have been making in the the remittances market, right? So in in China, which is like a hotly contested market, you have Alipay and WeChat both competing for remittances and digital payments. Between them in 2016, they processed as much as $5 trillion, right? So to put that in context, like PayPal around about the same year was processing around about 100 billion. So that's PayPal and Venmo. So you have like a huge play there. Last year, the Treasury Department intercepted an attempt for Alipay to acquire MoneyGram, which is one of MoneyGram alongside Western Union is one of the main remittances processing companies in the world. They have, I think, 350,000 locations Hmm. in which people, you know, send money across borders. And so for the Treasury Department to intercept uh, that move, I think that's also quite interesting. Interesting on top of that is that the week prior to Facebook uh, launching Libra, Ripple announced that they had acquired an 8 to 10% share in MoneyGram. So quite clearly what you see emerging here is there is a competition between US-based or kind of Western-based uh, entities looking to, to dominate the remittances market, Chinese-based companies looking to dominate the remittances market. And so Facebook signaling, I think there's a lot of money to, to be acquired there. And what's particularly interesting to me, though, is that when you see the Treasury Department start getting involved, intercepting foreign plays, uh, foreign acquisition plays uh, for, for US Dallas-based companies like, uh, like MoneyGram, and then lo and behold, you see Facebook step up to say, hey, we're a US-based company that's also in a little bit of hot water with regulators. <laughs> why don't we try and take this on, right? Right. Um, Yeah, so I think that remittances thing in and of itself, like beyond some kind of speculation of what, you know, what they might be up to, it's like that's enough for them to be up to, right? Like that's a a major, major market. Um, And the the market, like the stock market reflected that last week. So so after the the announcement of Libra, Western Union stock dropped. So clearly those markets are seeing a direct connection between what Facebook is attempting to do and the remittances market as as, as it stands. I was going to say in a weird way, the cryptocurrency market has always been about remittances, right? Well, it's always been about sending money. It cheap. has. I mean, and which of course is interesting as we become more nomadic for better or worse, you know, and, and that goes for the highest classes and also the most precarious. I mean, that that is going to be how money is transferred. I remember reading something that like, remittances are the greatest source of foreign funding in general for a lot of these developing countries. So it's really like mm-hmm. taking on the role of, uh, of the World Bank or these kinds of massive funding situations. So I think there's like something there that it's, it's, it's almost competing with, with uh, these NGOs or something in that situation. But I think it's also worth you know giving a definition to a stable coin, which is what Libra seeks to be. So it's the idea that for every Libra coin, there's certain assets in reserve, and they're by like low volatility assets, um, and that's managed by the association. So you could imagine that it's like relatively stably pegged to like USD, the pound, the yen, other things. Um, but in terms of actually looking at the places where those remittances will happen, there is no guarantee in terms of local currency or actual 
actually being able to re-exchange it, that it is still useful. So we're not just talking about kind of taking over a simple money transfer of a given currency. We're, we're talking about something that could really disenfranchise actually more inflationary local currencies at the same time. Mm. Can you say even more about that? Can you unpack yeah. that Yeah, and then also just to uh, maybe... So it's backed by a currency basket, and that's kind of a financial term also, too. Maybe yeah. we could have some explanation. But also, is there any? Is it is it stated what the, the basket is yet? Even no. No. Okay. Can you say what a currency basket is? Also? So it's the idea that it will. Let me think what exactly it was. So it was like um, low risk government securities, so buying debt and other things, as well as just buying reserves of different types of currency. And they, rather than pegging it to simply kind of, you know, gold or USD or choosing one of the major standards, they decided to get a different basket they diversified. So looking at, they did some evaluation probably using like WEF standards of like, these are the most stable kind of central bank currencies. And it's interesting because in the paper, to, to basically manage this reserve is up to the Libra Foundation. And the Libra Foundation is all of the companies that we talked about earlier. And the interesting thing is that they say explicitly that we have no monetary policy. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> first of all, that's somewhat impossible yeah. um, to manage a reserve and not have a monetary policy. But instead, they say that they inherit it from all the central banks, which they've chosen to buy securities from. So probably they haven't announced the banks yet or the actual kind of national currencies, but probably looking at extremely stable ones. I mean, the association is based in Switzerland. Um, so we'll see, but they haven't announced it yet. And I saw some takes that say, you know, because for everyone to join, it's 10 million and Facebook, who knows how much they've actually invested in overall, that it will put more and more kind of stable currencies in a liquid reserve and potentially destabilize actually how the exchange rates function and other kind of, you know, I don't want to call them second tier as like value judgment, but like second or third tier currencies that usually go through one or two exchanges to get to what the local currency might be. I mean, because we're talking about enough money being sucked up into backing Libra that it could affect currencies on a whole, right? And values. I mean, it would be a billion when they reach their 100... Um, node validators. Node validators. <laughs> but that's not uh, that's not like the backing currency. That's right. just investment in the infrastructure. Right. Yeah. right. So basically, um, a lot of investors have given money um, to basically jumpstart the initiative and they get security tokens. And from these reserves that are in the initial pile, they'll earn interest over time if the network grows. And it, it's super interesting because actually PayPal tried to do this in the past where when users would store money in their PayPal accounts, they would occasionally just take it and rather than putting it in bank deposits or FIDC insured accounts, they would invest it in low volatile or sometimes higher volatile and um, actually earn interest on people's money that were stored in these accounts at the time. Even though they were like legally just like a money transfer system, not a bank, not an investment. But is that common this practice? This is like banks, But that's right? common practice. I mean, like if you give money to an endowment fund at a college, they're going to take that money and they're going to put it into like a certain... I mean, if you put money in a savings account. Right, even a money market account in a bank, it's going to be Yeah, right, but PayPal is so. not a bank. Right. Which true. is the thing. And also Libra is technically not a bank. Right. The only legal, um, I think, qualification will be the wallet, which Facebook is developing as Calibra. They'll get a money transmitting license, but the association and the kind of blockchain itself has no legal framework at all. <laughs> what, is so, a mon- what is this money transmitting license? Is that a, a, a nationally specific thing? Though? It's a U.S. So yeah. they'd have to get that for potentially every country that they want to operate in? I, well, um, this is one of the kind of sensitive things, but you could say that in terms of like crypto or other financial regulation, basically you look to the U.S. for the regulation and then the rest follow suit. Not that I'm an advocate of that, but... Right. 
But I feel it seems like there's a, a, a lot of power in just choosing what the basket is and so much geopolitical influence that could be there. And like, I mean, a form of sanctions could just be removing, you know, your currency from the basket, which could, of course, destabilize some local currency, et cetera. And I, yeah, I really wonder who is going to oversee that, because that seems just like of paramount importance. Yeah, you better hope the dollar is part of the basket. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, well, that's why it's like, uh, well, maybe people will just start trading in Libra. To me, that's like very much an end goal of why even bother exchanging it? I mean, have they revealed how much Know Your Customer is going to be involved in this? Could they partner with the government and freeze your Libra suddenly? I mean, absolutely. <laughs> instant, you know? I think that's a feature of Libra. <laughs> Wow. No, I, I, right. yeah. There was this quote, I forget where I read it, but it was that it was based off of a, a principle that everyone deserves the fruit of their legal labor. And it was, <laughs> yeah, asterisks on legal. So I think there's going to be all sorts of enforcement. I mean, one thing I also found interesting is that apparently Calibra won't share account holders' purchase info with Facebook unless you allow them to, unless you use their friend finder search option, in which case it gives Facebook access. So, of course, it's obviously like very thinly protected privacy. I'd agree with that. I just think, again, bigger picture, not to frame this as like a, a full-on economic proxy war between US and, and China, but I think there is a lot to talk about there. In a normative sense, I am more into decentralized, permissionless uh, blockchains where people own their private keys and are, you know, are, are economically kind of autonomous. That sounds wonderful. But in the framing of what I think matters around Libra, you have a scenario where you know the Treasury Department has come forward and they said it's a matter of national security um, that Alipay not acquire a MoneyGram. Similar, the, these kind of conversations also came up with Huawei, right? Right. Where right. there's there's some legitimate there's some legitimate uh, uh, kind of speculation about quite how much Huawei is connected to the Chinese state. Um, there's good arguments on on both sides there. I actually am not an expert on that, but but this kind of bigger play that that Facebook uh, uh, announcing Libra is somehow legitimizing an inevitability which is that digital payments are coming. Um, Chinese companies are far advanced in, in their expertise there, particularly in the developing world. Um, I was reading, like, uh, there was a, a bunch of interesting kind of articles about the Chinese dream, and they were specifically talking about how the American dream is, is somehow diminished as, like, a meme that's being exported, and how, in, in, in a sense, like, the Chinese miracle, right, the, the miracle of people being, being liberate, liberated from poverty is actually incredibly inspiring to the developing world, right? Because you have Chinese people moving over and saying, hey, look, we were in your position not long ago where we don't have banks. We had a lot of unbanked people. Here's a, here's our mobile payments infrastructure. Like, pl please adopt it, right? And in a sense, there's also a lot of credibility uh, to takes on this kind of establishing a, uh, a new form of kind of digital colonialism where you do have a lot of people who are not necessarily do not necessarily understand how much value their data has in that ecosystem. And so we're taking like taking infrastructural payments, infrastructural kind of uh, uh, support loans um, and giving away a lot more than they understand they're actually giving away. And so when you're when you're kind of pitted with those two eventualities, right, Facebook that's still even though they have a pretty bad record of like their entire business model is, is, is like making money from your data, any move from them to move away from that business model, like at least declaring on some level, quite how trustworthy it is, I don't know, but on some level that they don't intend, that's their main business model is no longer to make money from your data, it's just to kind of profit from the like ridiculous remittances. In a sense, maybe that's a better scenario. It's, it's the better of two bad scenarios, right? I mean, two days ago, the US House Committee on Financial Services 
the Democrats asked Facebook straight up to stop development on this, which is <laughs> like uh, a bit wild. Um, but I also wanted to, if we're going to talk about multi, like this kind of multipolar stack battle, if, if the United States wants to keep China out of its digital currency, it seems like the uh, U.S. House Committee on Financial Services aren't doing a, a good job. I mean, we're looking at big macro geopolitics, like, we actually should welcome this in an easy way, maybe? As far as I understood it, the kind of WeChat, Alipay, WhatsApp wars were pretty much being waged in, like, Southeast Asia because there's a huge, like, obviously, in a huge uh, kind of uh, working diaspora, like, sending money back from, like, the Middle East and, and, and Europe and so on and so forth. Um, but that, that, but and that's the uncomfortable question I have to ask myself, though, which is a really uncomfortable question, which is, like, what is the better eventuality here? I was joking earlier on Twitter, but I think there's actually something to this. This. In a sense, I think that like the next great American meme could really be like substituting the original dream of the picket fence, so autonomy over your private property with private keys, right? This idea of having like financial autonomy, kind of selling the kind of American dream of like security, of like owning your shit, basically, right? And that being a competitive idea to the kind of win-win Chinese uh, scenario, which has a very, very different relationship with kind of civil liberties and rights. The challenge with that being, of course, is that uh, Libra, as it's been posited so far, hasn't quite gone that far, right? You have like, they're attempting to, to, to kind of uh, legitimize and thus strip kind of crypto of a lot of these kind of autonomy uh, plays and instead kind of uh, point to regulators and say, hey, we're going to be a friend, an ally of yours, right? Um, and, and particularly when the regulators are opposing this as kind of a national security issue, I can see why that would be very, very tempting. But yeah, but over time with in, in that kind of like best of a bad bunch uh, scenario, I don't know whether that's uh, Facebook winning in those territories is, is necessarily the worst Possibility. I think it's also. I mean, we're talking about Facebook as like a proxy for American power, but of course, there's like a very different corporate philosophy if if Apple or Fa or Google's competitor, whenever that comes out. And of course, like we can look at like Apple's. Apple came out with their credit card. It's partnered with Goldman Sachs and Amex, I think, and it's like yeah, not going far at all. But and potentially, you know, is actually accomplishing this privacy features and this idea of ownership much more than than Facebook is capable of. So I just wonder, like, yeah, what are the other flavors of the same thing? It's very on brand too. Amex and Goldman oh, Sachs and absolutely. Apple. That's like a nice. Yeah. This is like multipolar. Conflict within the United States. <laughs> yeah, it's like aesthetic, multipolar frat, aesthetic. Frat conflict <laughs> right. over. Uh, <laughs> right, but I mean, like, presumably, yeah. Another notable. I mean, you can glean a lot from who is not uh, a partner. Right. And Google is not a partner. Amazon is not a partner. Apple is not a partner. But even other smaller things aren't. And it's going to be really interesting to see what are the smaller stacks. You know, what what alliances kind of form. Yeah. I'm very interested to see how kind of Amazon enters the game also because they just have so much user preference data. They own full supply chains. They're getting more and more U.S. government contracts. Basically, if they were to have some sort of currency that existed on the platform, there would be a point where it would you would never actually have to kind of, you know, put that back into fiat or other things. You could keep it kind of continually spinning out subscription services where the asset itself would become something like a, it would signal your preference given that week, given the next week. Um, because it owns such supply chains, you don't really have to think about even sending it to someone else. You can send that object directly. So I'm very curious that there hasn't been any large blockchain news coming from different stacks that own more of kind of, not to make a, a strong distinction, but this kind of supply 
supply chain physical reality? Because that's also, I definitely agree that where the kind of future political war will be fought is definitely within the financial sector and financial institutions and the digital finance particularly. And seeing what Amazon does with a ton of government contracts, I'm, I'm very curious. Totally. And, and I mean, and there's precedent for this, right? Because like the, the, the Treasury Department, allegedly I've read, like already uses the kind of dominance of like Visa, MasterCard, Swift to kind of exert power in at for foreign policy kind of objectives. So maybe, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Apple has, you mentioned earlier, Dan, like Apple has already entered into the market with a kind of digital payments product, probably of all of the, the of the fangs or whatever. Like I would most like Apple because they have such a, a clear policy on, on, on privacy to, to win that war. But yeah, but, I, but this idea of, of it of it having strategic foreign policy implications is for me like the most interesting part. Is, is like Where I see really like that kind of grab for is where, um, because because they try to make this distinction, whether it's Alipay or WeChat or otherwise, between, and particularly Facebook, so maybe on the good guy's side at the moment, as you're framing it, this distinction between social data and financial data. And I think that regardless of trying to separate them out in different applications, we're coming to a future where those two things more and more coincide, where financial data increasingly is normalized as just social behavior, is just kind of out in the open. And you know, there's all of these kind of war on cash narratives around at the moment, where you just build a total surveillance system by normalizing the fact that your financial transaction is the same as sending a text message, when it's actually very fundamentally different type of social act. No, just, just to agree with that completely, I mean, like the, the like consumer data is now a national security concern. Like the Huawei conversation elevated this to the point, but like, yeah, it's like having these systems under some kind of domestic control and also having them be somewhat accountable to subpoena and stuff like this is increasingly like language from really, really high up institutions within US and British uh, 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 government is reflecting exactly what you're saying. Like this, this isn't a naive time anymore, right? Yeah. I, I want to stay macro on the geopolitical register, but I did have this passing question of, could you imagine a future where different people's dollars actually have different, I don't know if you could say intrinsic value, but you know, like the influencer model applied to somebody's cash based on a matrix of your preference data. Like, could you imagine a kind of sliding scale of value for your Libra coin? Is that even technically possible or is that total sci-fi or is that not based on logic? Yeah, I think that already different advertising models target differently based on someone's income status. So you just take the inverse of that and to say that this person's like self-issued coin or kind of currency exists in the same way. That data is there and very much operating from the fact that if data exists, it will be tracked, it will be used in that way. There, there are a lot of different qualities that, that coins could take on, whether it's the influencer coin. But as a joke with a friend after this came out, because there's so much like astrology symbolism, um, wouldn't it be funny to do like a Rahu and K2 coin? So these are things more in like Eastern astrology. It's the head of the dragon and the tail of the dragon. And it's a two-sided coin. And trying trying to kind of recapture some of the early, not that the cypherpunks were, you know, all correct, but to ca capture some of that early dream where um, basically it was anonymity for the most vulnerable and full identity for the most powerful in network. So it would be the, the wallet addresses if you had some sort of identity system that are the most linked to other wallet addresses that hold the most of a given type of resource, that those would have the full kind of identity in the Rahu K2 system and then flip 
it on a kind of gradated scale. But just thinking through all of these different qualities that we can put on different currencies now makes it just vastly different than any money that we've known before. Just to build on that, I can't speak to that specific uh, proposal, but that's actually one thing that's been frustrating to me, like following the labor discussion online is there's, this, there's been this very binary thing of like, all crypto is bad by virtue of something, by virtue of like not being engaged in the conversation whatsoever. So we must like reject this or like make fun of it or like the, the, the kind of like the, the, the stereotypical kind of like a, a ridiculous caricature of crypto being, you know, this kind of brutal financialization of, of every, every aspect of your life. And it's like, no, like it's, Again, this is another one of these issues where like maybe there's some intervention that can be made by smart people taking this seriously, knowing that there's a degree of inevitability to this, right? Like actually, Kia, you can speak to this more than I can, but looking, for example, at like the new European Central Bank, what's her name? Lagarde. Lagarde, right? It's like, so you now have like a crypto curious person running the European Central Bank. This is going to happen. There's been discussions about like an IMF coin, which actually the IMF coin shared many characteristics that what I read of the, of the Libra white paper of being like pinned to a basket of currencies. Looking to basically reform the global financial system is like, yeah, now's the time to have ideas about it and not necessarily just kind of dismiss it because it, it, it just has all the hallmarks to me of one of those things where in 10 years time, this will be like very standard and people will be complaining as, as they do. And I'm like, there's a limited window of time to actually like, burrow into the details and try and think about what a decent kind of a, a scenario might look like. You know, Just to get into ways this platform might end up being flexible or, or ways it might operate differently than thinking of just a very standard digital currency. First of all, so we know your government identity is definitely tied to your account. I mean, that's first of all, that's a, isn't that a barrier to sign up and even use this thing though? I mean, a lot of it is the question of how people build on the blockchain. So it's this promise um, of having a software system that kind of just exists in the world, and anyone can take some of that code and then make an application on top of it. So the first application that will exist on top of it is the Calibra wallet, where you mm -hmm. have to register your USID. But it's really open at the moment. They haven't even released all the technical specs about what they will allow people to build on. So it's gonna. It could be like a Ethereum where you, people can build like DApps for on Libra. That's the end goal. And seeing uh. what type of enforceable regulation will happen on the periphery will be very interesting. You know that there will be a huge amount. It doesn't even mention it for the association, but there will be a huge amount of curation you know, in a, in a soft power curation mode about what are the official kind of applications building on Libra. And like, even who can resell it, they use this weird phrase of authenticated resellers are the only ones who can kind of distribute Libra probably through the wallet or different exchanges. So there will be a huge kind of gated fence that no one's necessarily even getting to talk to yet because we'll see about the viability of the programming language and the adoption to see if people want to build on it. But that's where the real kind of regulatory skirmish will go down around it. I was just going to say, to come back to your Amazon question, do you want to add a comment to how you then see Amazon fitting into that structure? I can't speak to it yet because I don't know if their designs are necessarily like plans on releasing a system like this. I wouldn't see them doing a fully permissionless system. I would see them... You know, this is just riffing. I haven't thought about in depth, but there's a there's a project I actually really like in Berlin called Circles. It's built as a kind of UBI project, but it's more of a kind of mutual credit system where you just build up trust in a local environment and you have your self-issued currency. There's there's a fair amount of usability issues and uptake and adoption issues because usually these things happen have to happen organically before they happen technically, and it's not a technical solution. But I would see something much more like there's a programmable type of identity coin in Amazon that you use 
use either as yourself, you kind of self-minted coins that you use to purchase things, or maybe there's coins specific to specific products or lines of products. It could even be like a kind of planned small economy that just trades these coins in huge batches together that represent objects, that represent people, that represent supply chains. I think that would be a model that would fit Amazon much more than having a kind of open stack that people build on because they deal with such kind of like heavy, messy things. To be clear then, so that actually is a way that you could imagine a post-work society where different kinds of normally non-remunerated forms of labor could actually for, like gain a kind of value that could be traded. Is that right? Or am I extrapolating in the wrong I, direction? I think that's totally right. But I think that the way that that ends up usually playing out is much more like mechanical Turk scenarios than yeah. on the like fully automated, the Falk side. I often feel like sometimes those discussions just try to avoid talking about class and then short circuit themselves. But I do think that there is an interesting in between that something like you know, if you have a planned economy and money as a medium of exchange diminishes, where it's just like the exchange is the only act and you don't even really need an internal signifier, there is something that becomes more, and I, I use this in quotes because I hate this word, efficient there. Um, so I think on that level, to an extent. Graceful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a bunch of like dystopian UBI uh, scenarios with this, which I actually think is, is quite relevant to this conversation. So obviously, obviously Zuckerberg is has come forward with like a very, a kind of like vague uh, appreciation of the UBI model of like just being able to earn incremental payments on things. And you're like, okay, well, you have your own currency now, right? I mean, that's like definitely the, the, the dystopian kind of uh, 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 scenario here is like I'm way, way more curious about this idea if it does as like for example someone like uh, Morozov came forward and, and was talking about uh, you know this is a clear signal to move away from the advertising model to move away from the fire basically the regulatory fire that's kind of approaching them I'm what I'm way more interested in this idea um, if those two things are completely separated and the one is kind of phased out but the two together is terrifying has anyone here played with kin no no, oh, so Kin, which is a, 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 a crypto project that's existed, and they have an app called Kinit, which you just mentioned, Mechanical can, Turk. Can you just wait, say what Kin, Kin is? is? Kin, sorry, Kin is Kick, right? Just well, Kin, which is a, which is the, the currency connected to Kick, which which is another social network. They got from, in trouble for that, right? Did they? I think, I, think it was secure, I think it's a security token. I think what's Kin? Um, what's Kin? Fill me in. I don't know it, either. It's the native token to Kick, which is a social network from Canada, I believe that came forward and said, we're going to reform our model with a, a crypto token. Um, and there's an app that I, I, I downloaded a short while ago called Kinit, which is a, a means for anybody in the world through their cell phone to earn Kin. And it's basically a bunch of, I've got it here actually, questionnaires connected to consumer preferences. Um, and so you can earn Kin by basically like, you know, which shoes would your mother you know most like oh my god um yeah so it's basically this, this odd kind of like yeah so the, the idea of connecting digital payments and earning on like a ubi kind of like uh, on a continuous basis for for digital labor connected to an ad model is terrifying no, really <laughs> are that's, <laughs> i mean that's particularly dystopic given the whole donna haraway thing of make kin not babies that's become the <laughs> yeah. kind of slogan they really co-opted that very well 100 yeah oh exactly. so yeah so that's in the fully automated future People will make money just doing things for Libra on their phone. Well, that was that was my joke. I, I actually I tweeted about this Kinet app related to. You remember that Black Mirror episode where they did this kind of like uh, choose your own adventure 
uh, kind of like right. click through scenario. And I was like, I, I watched that around about the time that I put the Kinet app on my phone. And I'm just like, oh, holy <laughs> shit. Right. It there was, there like, was one of the choices was picking cereals. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's, exactly. That was the thing. There was a consumer preference choice in there. And you're like, oh my God. God, like what? And, uh, that, yeah. that that whole black mirror model was like it proved too cumbersome of a technology to actually, or, or, or no? Well, people did the first first attempt. Yeah, they did, you yeah. didn't get paid kin for doing it. <laughs> Apparently so. not. Well, that was what I tweeted though. I was like, you know, like uh, uh, left left techie people are like, our data is worth something, and we want to get paid for doing it. And I was like, yeah, tech companies hold my beer. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, like okay, cool, like let's move this we're from ready. us. Yeah, we're not going to mine your data. You're just going to give it to us voluntar- voluntarily for like a really small amount of money. That that's a bad idea. Like uh, governments, of course, like they could have in general, have done more to crack down on black markets, etc. And they've chosen not to because, of course, there is an economic benefit to having black markets and gray markets and everything. And, of course, governments and government agencies want to use them too. So I just wonder, like, how... Clearly, there's KYC and everything with Libra, but there's going to have to be some privacy coin interoperability. I just wonder, even just on Coinbase, are there privacy coins? I actually don't know. Zcash or... That. So will that be the on-ramp? Will there be some place where there's not KYC? There has to, I mean, there has to be something. Yeah, I wanted to talk about crime too. Because I can imagine all of a sudden all these people are fortune tellers. So <laughs> that like, you know, and that's how you sell drugs. Like people come up to you and send you kin and you give them drugs. But you just say you're telling their fortune. Mm. I, mean, I mean, there's already so much stuff like that. Because right? like, places where weed is legal but selling weed is not, like Michigan, for instance, there's these right. posters where it's like you buy socks, stockings, and they happen to have weed in the stockings. Ah. That's fine. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there'll definitely be a lot of like pizza <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know if it, this represents any more of a, a, a you know a, a boon to, to criminals. I mean, in the same way as I also, I remember reading a bunch about this that like, you know, the, the, of course, you know, Bitcoin was used on the Silk Road and, and is somewhat useful for that. But like massive criminal enterprises, like clearly have not adopted it to the level that the, right. the, the, the fear mongering has suggested. Right. It's like, it is quite cumbersome. It is quite particular, like cash works great. And, and in a sense, like as a legitimacy play, Libra coin is going to be very careful about that. Like the whole KYC thing also to bring up, I, I, I checked this, but like, if you go through MoneyGram or Western Union, there's there is a that you you need a valid ID in order to be able to transact. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't, if you're unbanked, um, you do need some form of formal identification that I'm sure they have on file uh, to be able to participate in that system. It's it's just it's almost not going to happen without that that intervention. You know. Yeah, and there's one side of the regulation that is KYC, know your customer. There's another side of AML, so anti money laundering. So that's the other kind of larger scale crime that you see. But I think it's really worth bringing up, especially when people start talking about kind of cashlessness and digital digital surveillance. That often a lot of money laundering happens in more secure assets, or has already been offloaded into things like gold, into things things like artworks. And you're not going to see people trying to do money laundering with the Libra reserves just yet or ever. So that uh, that kind of approach of, you know, cryptocurrency equals crime is definitely, I don't see as a threat with Libra. I mean, can you even imagine most central banks having all of their transactions on record? <laughs> so if That's they- cause is for. <laughs> yeah. But I do definitely agree um, that there has to be some sort of like shielded transaction in the mix because if you don't put some form of anonymity or kind of, right now they call it pseudonymous, but you have to do KYC from your wallet. So it's virtually meaningless. But if there is some sort of wallet application that you can have shielded transaction that's built later, I'm very curious to see how that gets through and to what level. Because if you don't have that, basically the a blockchain 
is the surveillance mechanism par excellence. <laughs> like it's, it's, it is surveillance, um, being able to track one transaction to another and someone else. Um, so, yeah. I mean, do, is, there, is facial recognition going to tie in though too? Because then I wonder, right, buying a, you know, someone whose grandmother doesn't fucking use a mobile phone could easily sell that identity to someone else who then can do whatever with it and transfer it to... I mean, I don't know. I imagine identities would be hot on Libra eventually for certain reasons. Or well, again, though, I mean that like in the conversation. I mean, I, I use China. It's a very big catch-all. It's a very big catch-all to use. But for example, there are Chinese facial recognition systems being installed in stores in Zimbabwe at the moment, right? So, mm. like, the idea of like this being like the perfect surveillance mechanism. There's a lot of credibility to that, um, and that's also why on the the, the kind of the, the secure uh, uh, private private key thing in a sense to me is a, is a competitive feature, right? The ability to, to sell people security and sell people kind of uh, some, some idea of, of, of domestic or familial security around this uh, in competition with these other remittance payment services that are coming up to me reads as a, as, a, as a great feature. And of course, Bitcoin will benefit from that if they don't do that, right? I do worry about the kind of self-sovereign narrative though, because if you see it deployed in the US, you get the kind of anti-government militias. <laughs> but if you look at places kind of suffering from colonialism and kind of this is just extension of colonialism by other digital means, um, then that self-sovereign narrative becomes very true and very real. One thing that I would like to see in terms of the trend, I love the meme of like, you know, own your own key, but like I would really like to see, you know, really well-branded USB devices or something else, something to make it a bit more trendy to get into people's hands where it's actually something that you kind of trade and, and plug in with with friends rather than something that's kind of the picket fence that surrounds you. It's more like your, I, I think like a device hardware way to go is to make this meme cool. A hundred percent. I was always one like surprised that private key parties haven't like taken that next step forward. No, I completely agree. And it's true. The, What's the a private key party? Oh, it's basically like a key signing party. Uh, so in order to validate who you are right. uh, within within a, an encrypted network, you like roll up and say, "I verify that this person is who they say they are." Uh. Um, and so it is. It's kind of like this quite mimetic, nice, quite beautiful kind of social experience. And so it's not related to like a key party, like a swingers key party. That's what I thought. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that that almost certainly happens in some of the self sovereign libert- libertarian circles that, that the key was describing. It. <laughs> that, could, that could make it more of a meme for sure. <laughs> No, I'm I'm with you though. It's like, yeah, disclaimer, when I talk about the American meme, I'm talking about it not necessarily through uh, wanting that eventuality, right. but just seeing it as like a natural opportunity in a sense. Because like the American dream obviously is connected to these very, very American ideas of like freedom, security, independence that start looking kind of weak over time. Like that's kind of burned out a little bit and it feels like this kind of like nicely managed secure systems for, you know, to, to, to maintain your, 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 your personal information. Uh, fit scans well with that, you know. Yeah, and I totally agree. And just finding those kind of narrative openings and gaps is super important because, you know, I can sit here and be like, it's, you know, it's not anonymous. Um, this will just be surveillance by their means, etc. But actually, what are those points of opening? So, for example, someone in the Ethereum community, fairly well known recently, was like, well, why does an Ethereum decide to become a validator? And it met with such vitriol in the community. And I feel fairly ambivalently about it because I think that existing players in the space really need to start taking kind of enterprise shipping and usability more seriously and play on that level, on the geopolitical level that people, 
you know, love to meme and talk about, but when it actually gets to that level, walk it back a bit. So seeing this level of outrage that this person got at this proposal was very interesting. And it became this like slight ideological soft fork of do you collaborate? Do you use openings? What openings are the viable ones? And how do you pick between them? When no one knows actually, you know, was Libra just a good press release and five years from now we won't be using it? Or is it actually the first step in real deal? Because I do agree that it's an inevitability, whether it's Libra that's the inevitability is the question. I completely agree. I mean, there's the, there is kind of like a cooties thing with the crypto community in this sense where it's like, you're waiting for the perfect user. You're waiting for the perfect opportunity. You're waiting for your protocol to be perfectly there. There's also a disincentive to ship anything. Let's just get that out of the way, right? <laughs> like like in a very volatile market, it's kind of, again, like that Silicon Valley show where like, you're going to release the product, I'm out. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to invest in something that's actually going to really, right? So there's this kind of like in, invariable thing where you're like, no, actually, I kind of agree with you. It would be very interesting to see how certain networks could get that put some skin in the game and be like no like remittances is a thing i mean i remember years ago a, a gathering kind of thing talking specifically i guess it is about remittances but being like why doesn't ethereum open up a chain of restaurants with all the money like all the money that the community has invite in a bunch of migrants newly in berlin like set them up with kitchens only sell your meals uh, with ether and then demonstrate to me on the screen there that that money can go back to wherever it needs to wherever it needs to get to right like get involved get get your hands dirty with these actual serious problems and as much as remittances you know it's like it's this big kind of very profitable play it's also a problem like there are a bunch of people being scalped right like western union moneygram there are people who are struggling oh, yeah. being scalped over this right and this is a perfect opportunity for the Ethereum community to step up and actually make a play there, right? And so, of course, I have a lot of suspicions. I have a lot of, uh, I'm quite skeptical of Facebook as a company, but that's a real problem, right? That's not like the, the joke about like, let's make the perfect protocol for our like gated community. It's like, like no, <laughs> like get your hands dirty and like do this stuff, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I mean, that is a really good point because I think about the times where I actually had to use Western Union and it's so janky. Oh yeah. And like the and like you just can't believe how much money these people are making for such a f fucking janky system. Yeah. And it's like if if you already had Facebook or WhatsApp on your phone, like using Libra would be infinitely better than going and doing Western Union. So it is kind of a, a obvious play, really, in that regard. And I guess that's really though why cryptocurrency has never been when it could have at any time. I remember. How many ICOs solving remittances were there, right? And it's like, I, I mean, the problem is, of course, though, that it was just a little more janky than Western Union was, you know, mm. still. So I think the first thing that's going to be like very widespread and less janky than Western Union probably is a good chance of uh, doing right. it. And if anyone has the muscle. Although grand, old, like really old people, though, that, that could be hard. A lot of people use Western Union because like the grandma takes the code word and goes to the yeah. the and picks up the money, you know? So Although I will say it being delivered through interfaces like Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp increasingly will make that generational divide because, you know, so many right. family members have WhatsApp. True. Yeah. Um, and you can't steal you can't steal Libra, right? Like you can report thefts. Like don't they cover stolen it's not like a regular cryptocurrency where if you steal it, the, the coins will be cancelled or something, right? So yeah, exactly. and, they actually and, have this control over it. And that's what you gain. That's what you gain through a lack of kind of uh, of privacy and, and like a more permission system is you gain some degree of security, which right. like inevitably that's going to exist. The other thing that's worth bringing up, I mean, I'm not like an expert on this necessarily, but like, uh, uh, are you guys familiar with the M-Pesa in Kenya? 
Yeah, but the, can, can I mean, Somalia, which is in total anarchy forever, basically had mobile payments, like everyone used it in Mogadishu in like 2007 or something. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. is like over 10 years old. Yep. And everyone uses it. Yeah, exactly. So there's a, there's already there's already kind of a test case that's there, and like the benefit with the M-Pesa system is that clearly people aren't being scalped, right? So so, so there's clearly like a, a use case that you can refer to where you know there's a, a well like a, a relatively well intentioned digital payment system that that people have adopted wholesale and it um, works and it works and it's not yeah. blockchain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, <laughs> people are trying to make blockchain replicas and scale it. However. <laughs> so why so why do you why do you need blockchain again? It doesn't work perfectly. Yeah. No, no but yeah. I mean also notably is like the week when they announced this Bitcoin went to its, you know, all time not all time high, but the its greatest high since the peak in the end of right. twenty seventeen. So I mean even well, that's if, true. Two billion people who can easily buy it. It's, it's a thing. Yeah, no, I mean I think it clearly heralds something about crypto in general and it doesn't mean that like the dream is over of the private key ownership. It just means it's gonna become much more reasonable seeming to people who absolutely only think of it as crime money, you know, or digital crime money. I mean, actually, I saw some news report, I think it was actually TV news, where they're like, finally, there's a real digital currency. And that's how they were billing it to <laughs> consumers. <laughs> and I think that's how people probably think it. It's like, what it's real it? if it's corporate. Yeah, what a simple it? <laughs> digital global currency. Yeah. But go. I loved the use of the word real in all of the papers and the press releases. It, it used it so many times. It was real assets, real intrinsic value. And also there was this one moment, I think in one of the press releases, I forget which, because there was like, you know, there's several different papers, but it was like, we expect a real movement to form around this coin. Mm. So also taking this kind of energy, it was it was also very strange for me because reading back through a lot of the language that was used, it's stuff that I encounter every day through work that's to the point of parody, talking about permissionless, mm. trustlessness, you know, distributed governance. To have potentially the most mainstream platform in the world talk about distributed governance is just a little bit <laughs> <laughs> very strange to see that reality feedback loop happen almost in real time, um, especially because it's been so largely discounted in the wider press, and then to have it instantiated in this way, but to say, oh, but this is the legitimate one. <laughs> and also this distinction of like virtual versus real currencies. Like, you know, it's real because there's like some government debt <laughs> that a bunch of corporations bought. Violent, <laughs> you know, oh, thank God it's real that way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just as mired as the current financial system. Yeah. Well, no, that's true. I mean, that's one thing I'll give credit to the Financial Times for is that they have been equally skeptical about Libra as they have been on crypto, right? But there, it, it is true. There's, I mean, that was my one of my big fears when you know you saw Zuckerberg kind of testifying in court was the entire time I'm like, this is a legitimacy play. Like, what is actually happening here is this is kind of a little show exercise to tap someone on the wrist, and ultimately, what is being what is being kind of encouraged or incentivized here is for Facebook to crack down on the fake news and. And and basically become the the kind of like the credible arbiter arbiter of truth online, right? Like I mean, even, that's the invitation. Even just like the image of him in a U.S. Supreme Court is in itself a legitimizing factor. No matter what, he has that framework. A hundred percent, and that's and that's the thing is that this kind of credibility play is like it goes, it, it turns, it turns very quickly. And I do think, I mean, look, like Facebook is obviously a very, very clever, uh, credible, <laughs> credible entity. They're an incredibly successful. It's like the fourth largest on your paper. It says the fourth most valuable brand in the world. Um, yeah, I mean, so so clearly, them moving here is something to be taken to be taken really seriously. But it is weird to see the same ideas mirrored, like the distance in interpretation of the same ideas, basically uh, uh, mirrored is is. 
Yeah. You could probably Im- imagine a sort of bounty system for moderating the platforms as well, too, reporting fake news, reporting things that go against terms of service. Uh, is there any talk of there maybe being a Steemit type aspect of this as well, too, where Libra can, you can pay Libra to amplify a post you want to amplify, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, well, all of a sudden, I mean, you know, that, that nightmare of everything being turned into a form of currency or a microtransaction. I mean, Libra does set the stage for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, how could it not? Like, how could it not? Yeah. I mean, there is the what, like the basic attention token, which I think is right. very much going to be the Facebook model. The advertisers will pay in Libra. You'll get paid Libra to watch the ads, etc. You'll buy the product in Libra. I mean, you could even imagine like specially minted coins that are called usually NFTs, like non-fungible tokens, but you could just think of a coin that belongs to a specific object, like an artwork edition. You could imagine that the moderators on Facebook give the, a particular truth NFT to everyone who posts the true reality article. <laughs> nice. And that this NFT appreciates on a kind of bonding curve scale over time. There's, there's no amount of modification. I'm invested in truth. Long truth. Yeah. <laughs> my portfolio is diversified in truth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my portfolio is not diversified. Diversified into lies. Yeah. I mean, you could imagine though too, kind of like distributed troll farms. Like posts can be bought or likes can be bought, and all of a sudden, a lull coin. oh my god! Think of how competitive Libra is going to make the influencer. Market. I think it will actually just destroy it. Hopefully, it won't mm. make it competitive. Well, no, we'll all be in, in, yeah. But it's like every, in the future, everyone will have 15 minutes of fame. It'll, it's more like in the future, everyone will have however many minutes are in your life of being an influencer. Yeah. You mean all the minutes in your life? Yeah, all yeah, the minutes yeah, of yeah, life. Exactly. You'll be an influencer. Exactly. Right? If yeah. everything is monetized. You'll have 15 minutes of trending, Libra. but you'll have a lifetime of influence. And, and right. those are your calling minutes that you can just yeah. call in at the end. Oh, that's. <laughs> oof. The Core of New Models is our human selected pro complexity aggregation site found at https newmodels.io. If you want to get involved, consider joining our Patreon. Members can listen to episodes of our more candid, conversational podcast, Topsoil, as well as access our New Models Discord channel. Visit patreon.com slash newmodels to find out more. As always, we welcome tips and suggestions from the form at newmodels.io or via email at desk at newmodels.io. Yeah, before we, I, I know, I know Dan wants to, to talk about space mining. What space mining? Super. Generally, before we, before we like jump mining. there, I just wanted to ask your thoughts on how this will either accelerate or alter the Spotify streaming matrix if we're in the realm of micropayments and. Yeah, I can speak to that. Um, it oh, because Spotify is a partner. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, right, Spotify is a partner. Sorry, it is. It is, it is interesting that Spotify is a partner there. I mean, when I saw that, let's just presume that this in five years' time is something serious to think about, and it does actually uh, materialize. I mean, it seems like a fairly smart play for them to entrench themselves for what is a relatively small amount of money, particularly on this kind of like legitimization play, right? It's like a $10 million investment to be seen as this kind of pillar. Yeah. Um, my great tension with Spotify just generally is that they've basically you know, raised- Is every- it profitable? Sorry. Uh, you know, they they- they turned their first profit, I believe, in February last year, but mm. I don't know if they turned a profit in March last year. So 
it's not very profitable mm -hmm. right now. Um, they have this like long-term kind of moonshot thing where it's like, if everybody in the world used Spotify, mm -hmm. then yeah. any service would be profitable if it, in, in that, that circumstance. Apparently a lot of Sweden pays for Spotify. So they I use that as Spotify. an example. Oh, well, yeah, good, good for you. That's a, <laughs> yeah, we make a micro cent per month from your, from your generous contribution. But, but, but the point, the great point being is that all of Spotify to me, Ouch. that was, sorry, that wasn't boring. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't shame anyone that you use what you like. But Better like micro cent than no micro cent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Well. yeah, exactly. That's the new bank, the unbanked. Micro cent, unmicro cent. Yeah, Spotify like making making exposure seem profitable since Wait, 2012. But, <laughs> sorry, when the, if you get a hundred million streams, which uh, there's rappers you've never heard of who have a hundred million streams, that's a half a million dollars. Totally, but I actually think that point is is pretty salient for what I was about to say, which is that my greater issue is that there's also been kind of like a move toward credibility of this idea that that particular kind of in, uh, inception of, of streaming media is the future. And, and it, increasingly it's become that way where it's just kind of this default position that everybody takes. Um, and exactly what you just said about, yeah, like hypothetically, if you get a hundred billion streams of your song, but I would say that, you know, that scans with some of maybe the more dystopian readings of, of digital currencies like Libra, this idea that you create basically like a marketized race to the bottom populist uh, scenario, which Always. that is what Spotify is. Let's yeah, be real. Like totally. the, like the amount of back channel payments that are going to the main playlist, <laughs> you like, yeah. I can't prove it, but it's almost certainly happening, right? Because it's literally like you get on a few playlists and that represents a certain amount of money. By the way, most of the people who get on those playlists are, are from the majors who also have a vested share in Spotify, right? So this idea of it, it's pretty much a closed loop system. So the idea of uh, digital payments within that scenario, like you can think of utopian kind of manifestations of that, but their track record to me, it doesn't doesn't demonstrate that that at least what they think a utopian system would be would scan with mine. Um, yeah, but so you see it as a legitimation play for Spotify, so absolutely. they can be perceived by the world stage as like this is actually the future of music. Yeah. Actually, actually, and yeah, I mean, they they don't need it because they already seem to be like Spotify is in Bloomberg every second day, right? Because like all they, indie they, rockers love them. Well, that's that's the, the, the <laughs> strange like, scenario. Exactly, ugh. it's like like I don't know of that many people who do actually love them. Um, but yeah, they've raised a ton of money. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, mean, that's totally. the, the, yeah, they they they're really good at raising money. The the biggest thing for me is basically just that legitimization play, and like I can't speculate about how yeah. they would use it. You know, I'm interested in in, in un, un route to space mining <laughs> to speak about that one totally bizarre Libra video. Uh, oh, <laughs> very man. Oh, I'm to make my <laughs> But uh, is there somewhere in there a pivot to, to space mining? Julian, your hot take on the video? Maybe describe it well, first. At least we should play the music in the beginning. What if we made money truly global, stable, and secure? What if everyone was invited to the global economy with access to the same financial opportunities? Introducing Libra, a new global currency designed for the digital world. The weird thing is, though, is that like all you have to do is change the voiceover and you basically could it'd be a perfect video where every single action in your life is monetized and capitalism grows like a Cthulhu until the word, world explodes in fireworks. Uh, and also just like the diversity of people it shows, too. It's kind of like it's like Baraka, but there's something dark. If, if it wasn't for the voiceover, it'd be really dark. 
Yeah. I think it is really dark, especially with the music. There's just yeah, a sense of just tension this, that is unnecessary. Yeah, this like clock ticking kind, like bomb countdown kind right. of. Uh, yeah, time lock. Time yeah, lock. like yeah. Uh, drumming. Time lock until we've like, yeah, usurped your national sovereignty. That's right. Really, the only, it feels like a slow coup. It's like, a, that's. Yeah. What I'm always curious when Facebook puts out media or just any press releases is how many kind of cuts didn't make it to the end and what <laughs> totally. kind of like mm. market research and user demographics, like how many edits did they do of that video and then get a ton of data feedback and then be like, this is the one. That's <laughs> totally. also the thing that scares me the most is, you know, probably down to the millisecond of every cut in that video, and it goes quite quickly, is based on market research. For sure. It, it, it pales in comparison. What was that classic crypto video where too much money was spent. Oh, we might have oh, to get this because I can't remember. The, Wait, no, Aragon. no, it's is fine. It Aragon. Aragon, yeah, that exactly. Video, exactly. That video is, yeah, is ooh, it, I love it. Like it's still not, for the future? What yeah, no, the, it's, still, it's still nowhere near as good as the, as the Aragon, Aragon video. It's funny, like on the music, I, I already I already tweeted about this, but on the music, I did think it was like particularly powerful. Like there's like, I, I'll, I will credit Crooked, Crooked by Crook for pointing out that the music used was from Johan Johansson, rest in peace. Um, oh, his, wow. his score to Arrival. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> so you have the alien invasion themes, oh. right? And then on top of that, that score sampled Joan LaBarbera, who's like a classic kind of alien extended vocal technique vocalist. Um, yeah, but it was kind of interesting. I mean, like from my thesis, at least of just like, the ongoing assimilation of like avant-garde musical tropes into like the status quo. And he was like, wow, like Joan LaBarbera, like announcing <laughs> a new global payments infrastructure. Like <laughs> it, it, it's, it's pretty, pretty totally. poignant. Yeah. Yeah. Just, some revisionist historian is going to have such a great time with this. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. So right on into uh, space mining. Space. Well, space invasions. Okay. Well, I know I don't know where I'm going with this, but just one of I, remember, I think it was actually the Winkle Winklevi who liked talking about this. But the Winklevi. <laughs> <laughs> did you well, make that up? I did. Absolutely did not make that That's up. That's actually a thing. I, I, randomly, I saw a thing earlier, and there was the Winklevi. <laughs> That's been a thing. I think, been, <laughs> I think that might have even funny. been in the Social Network movie. Oh, and there was. I just watched it like a month or two ago. I did not catch I, it. I, 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 I I made a, uh, I saved, the, I made a Spotify playlist of the soundtrack because Trent Reznor yeah, Trent, yeah, did the, the, the yeah. soundtrack. Notably. Yeah. Very interesting. Atticus yeah. Atticus I mean, it's also similar, that actually the soundtrack to that is so similar, that sense of like kind of anxiety and foreboding. But yeah, okay, so the justification for Bitcoin or having some type of, you know, true value is that with the expansion of space mining, eventually scarce minerals won't be scarce anymore and that there needs to be some, you know, mathematically bound scarcity so that any value can be maintained. And I actually read there is some plan for the people who are trying to develop space mining. They want to use, they want to have 3D printers just print these sort of like 90 kilogram spheres that they will just put into orbit and they'll only bring it back to the earth when it's profitable to do so. So like there are people that are so invested in maintaining artificial scarcity. Um, it's like how diamonds work. Right. Yeah. But imagine that just in, you know, into space. And then, you know, I guess there is a, a logic there that there would have to be some sort of mathematically bound scarcity for an interplanetary, you know, economy to work. So. And then Bar Baron Trump will bring it all down. <laughs> yeah. the, I'm tired of the Fed. But, but anyway, so I guess flashing no, interest. the point is like there, there will definitely be, even if Libra takes over, there will be, 
clearly a place for Bitcoin in this in this kind of economy or for something that accomplishes something very different than what Libra is doing. For sure. And I mean, on crypto Twitter, the recent headline of, you know, gold reserves found on many asteroids, no longer scarce and all of these Bitcoin people rejoicing because finally <laughs> there's like a mathematical certainty that Bitcoin is the one coin to, to rule them all. Right. And the sense of I also think space mining is an interesting example for how we think about Libra as well, because there's in the same way that there's not really any regulatory framework for thinking through the Libra Association, there's not really a regulatory framework for thinking through space mining either. You have the first like Sputnik going up um, to establish like in the so the Russian uh, satellite in the rotating around the Earth and basically declaring international airspace um, for everyone. So you think of it as an extra national kind of commons. And then with space mining as well, there was just, I think it was a couple of years ago now, like a joint press release between the US and Luxembourg being like, yeah, you can definitely own private property in space because we say so. <laughs> and this kind, right. of, this kind of like self-reflexivity of law that exists in international law is most apparent in space law and asteroid mining because people want to have legal rights to say that that gold that I threw the bucket up around and captured like 20 years ago is mine. And right now there's no legal framework to do so. And it's exactly the same problem that a geographically diverse blockchain like Libra faces. So I actually think a lot of space mining law around scarcity of assets will come to influence like software stacks and like pan-national stacks in the future. And that's actually the best place to look for it at the moment rather than looking towards, you know, the the U.S. House of Financial Services or otherwise. Mm, that's for sure. <laughs> well, there we go. There was a good reason to talk about space mining. It wasn't just me being a nerd. <laughs> And I was about to make a very dumb joke about to the moon. Kia Kia won that one. That's amazing, actually. <laughs> this is some conspiracy theory. Yeah, it's right? always like 2433 Eros or whatever. <laughs> I, I have one quote here that maybe you could illuminate a bit about or explain. Libra hopes to transition to a permissionless proof of stake system within five years, although their own materials admit that no solution exists that can deliver the scale, stability, and security needed to support billions of people and transactions across the globe through a permissionless network. So what's just what is what's the deal? That's just the same issue of Ethereum, right? I mean, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the Libra technical paper said their current capacity right now is 1,000 transactions per second, which is incredibly low. But I also saw one take from the person on the Chainspace team. So Chainspace was a small startup that was um, hired by Facebook to develop the platform, but one of the engineers did not join the team. And he did a Twitter thread recently that was somewhat disappointed that it didn't give Ethereum researchers the full credit. Um, so there actually has been a lot of scalability research that is now being implemented. I'm definitely skeptical about its proper implementation, but it doesn't, it kind of overlooks the whole past three years years of very intensive research into scalability and says there's no solution, we're going to build it. So while I definitely think that there is no technical solution and no clear roadmap for them, it is also a little bit feels like a sideswipe because they definitely looked at the technical architecture of most of the main chains. It is a bit of a sideswipe to all existing players in the field. In terms of the way the structure is set up where you have the Libra organization and then you have Calibra. Are they compartmentalizing regulation, uh, accountability, et cetera, through this structure? And if so, maybe explain, walk through that a bit or something. So there's no current um, 
process for any sort of license or framework for responsibility or accountability for Libra Association and the association that governs the blockchain at present. There will likely have to be many agreements and who knows what the NDAs and the contracts are between the association members themselves because there's governance of the chain that basically says, you know, these are the transactions that happen, but governance of the reserves is a whole other thing in terms of accountability. So that's kind of that function there. And then separately, the wallet, um, which is called Calibra, is a fully owned subsidiary of Facebook and will remain 100% owned of Facebook. And you can think of it like the Libra Association governs the software platform that just kind of exists in the world a little bit semi non-jurisdictionally and then the wallet itself is a Facebook company and the mm. face and that wallet is the first onboarding ramp outside of Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp that will allow people to directly plug into the blockchain and I assume that you know there's examples of like Coinbase which is a crypto exchange platform they've developed a custodial wallet that's immediately in their platform and the idea of a custodial wallet is that you actually don't have the private key on your device. Um, a third party has the private key, which will be the case with Facebook's wallet. So you can think of this like the onboarding ramp. And on the wallet itself, you have KYC and AML, which we talked about. So know your customer and anti-money laundering, where people, that's the point where people will enter their identity. And that's the point where Facebook will have accountability to say that this app is working as we said it does. And that definitely fully compartmentalizes the idea of having identity. But also, if you have identity, then you have legal responsibility and they have legal responsibility to you as service providers. As far as I know, there's no service provider contractual obligation if you're building on top of the platform or otherwise that's been defined yet. I agree too. It's like I wasn't familiar with that structure, but that structure is pretty congruent with the idea of this being like an olive branch to the regulators, right? It's like, because you have a lot of people in the banking and fintech area who yeah, are genuinely concerned that, okay, if you're going to start a bank, you need to fall within certain kind of regulatory. Th this will be crushed without that, mm -hmm. right? So it makes total sense. And ultimately there, you can't distribute the responsibility or the accountability between 27 or 100 different entities. Someone's going to have to be held accountable to that. So Libra, the organization is, is based in Switzerland, but, but Calibra would be registered in the United States through Facebook. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. As far yeah, as I sense. know, it's it's like a 100% subsidiary. That makes sense. There's just there's just no way that this would happen without that being in place. It, it mm. would be the it would be the Achilles heel. Yep. Yeah, and it allows them to save face to say, hey, we built this blockchain that will be permissionless in five years. It's totally decentralized. It's the future. It allows trustful transactions. And hey, we also built this other thing that's complete onboarding to full citizenship on ramp. And they also say we won't use any of your data from Calibra, but if you break some laws, then we can use it. <laughs> There we go. There's that trust. Yeah. <laughs> and that's definitely also the olive branch to the regulators to say we have, you know. Is there anything significant about Switzerland as the site? I mean, other than obvious ones of it having, you know, this special place within politics? I mean, I, I'm sure there's tax benefits. Uh, I, mean, I can't think of any other yeah. scenario. It's just there's, there's tax benefits. I mean, so. they've been very innovative and blockchain friendly. Most of the first ICOs, so initial coin offerings, were done out of companies in Switzerland. And that was actually incredibly hard for most jurisdictions to handle and have a regulatory framework to do so. Because, you know, there's a huge problem there of... Um, Actually, no, I don't want to go into this. Our friend Tobias, our Swiss friend Tobias Spiktig, uh, was telling us about the 
the Bitcoin villages of Switzerland. <laughs> well, Zug, right? The Zug is yeah. Crypto Valley. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. that must be what he That's lives. where it is. Oh, no, it's in, it's in Geneva, right? It's not in Zug. Zug. It's in Zug. No. Libra? Fa- Libra is incorporated in Zug, but I'm sure that they'll probably have an office in Zug right. if they want to be alt. Yeah. But that's he, classic. I mean, there's tons of pop stars who've lived in Zug for decades. Yeah. It's like, I forget who is there. I don't want to speculate on names right now, but there's plenty, like, apparently if you walk around Zug, you see lots of celebrities from the 80s. <laughs> 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 nice. the, yeah. They'll be in good company. They're early adopters of Libra now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> How many more like cryogenically preserved within like the actual mountain structure? I actually think that as, as per the white paper's commitment to being against financial fraud, they're actually basing themselves in Zug so as to best study um, oh, yeah. I see. Best, best study financial mal- malpractice in order mm. to make sure that nothing like that happens on the on the Libra yeah. network. Con, con college. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And I was in Zurich a couple of weeks ago and shout out Trust Square co-working space in Zurich. Um, but it was funny because uh, my friend was taking me around Zurich and basically every corner that we stopped on, he was like, do you know that there's gold beneath our feet right now? And at a certain point, I didn't know if he was trolling or not, but this idea of it being a stable reserve of currency and now extending that into the digital sphere, like in the way that we've been talking about money changing completely, what does that mean? And you know, also what's secure storage of private keys? Is it getting something at Sun Steel and keeping it in a bank vault that you paid for with cash? What does it actually mean? And how does Switzerland provide the security, I think is how they really want to position themselves in continuation of like increasingly ephemeral assets. Yeah. And is Estonia pissed? Because <laughs> oh. they've been investing so much time in this space, to, uh, it's just funny to, t- to think that like the first thing that actually does manage to onboard like the general public yeah. into this space and work with identity management and so on. Like, but imagine the aesthetic if, if Facebook Coin was in Estonia. I think it would seem a lot less trustworthy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not fair. Just Estonia di- seems great. But. <laughs> just one digital card to keep all of your. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Montenegro. Just <use> <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm thinking about going to Montenegro this summer. That's where that's like where Russians go instead of Croatia. Cool. So apparently, there the people there are very tall. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. I won't fit in. But. <laughs> Wait, what's the? Oh, Moldova. That's yeah. a scary Transnistria. one. Transnistria. That's even a scarier. Yeah, I think right, why didn't they is... base Libra in Transnistria? <laughs> 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 hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you have one more take? You want to? Yes. Oh, yeah. I think um, just wanting to say like, what is a potential like really, really macro scale optimistic take on this press release? Yeah, let's get into hyperstition to yeah. close it. <laughs> I would say there's an opportunity to establish new types of frameworks for how we do social interactions or transactions, but also a kind of gap in law that allows us to build things that do go across borders because there's the awful kind of globalism narrative of um, we'll make remittances work across borders, but we'll take high fees. We'll have all of your personal information. We'll sell that information. But then there is an idea of something that goes across borders and being able to establish that on like a supranational level at the moment feels really ripe and ready for something that's actually a legitimate proposal that is privacy respecting but also something that, as you said, the kind of American meme, own your own private key, a kind of device that plugs you into the network that you actually have user rights in, but also the ability to just kind of meme something into existence at this actual planetary scale is much more available than it ever was in the past, which obviously does not have super positive guaranteed outcomes. It could go absolutely terribly. But I think on a kind of Facebook talks about we want a global cooperation around building on this blockchain, like what is the way to like hyperstitionally or just throw something out right now that sticks and that gets that level of attention and gets built? I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I've 
I've probably spoken to you all remotely about this, but I've been reading this book, The People's Republic of Walmart. It's rad. People should read it. It's kind of a bit of a game changer, I'd say. I mean, at least like rhetorically for reasons that would take a lot to go into, but it's basically this idea of like, oh, wow, like certain companies, irrespective of how gross you might find them, are actually in a sense paving the way for tr a transnational planned economies and, and basically bre breaking down certain borders, like being an international socialist, that's quite an interesting idea, right? And so even though I don't invest a, a great deal of faith in Facebook, there is something quite interesting to, to just seeing, oh, you could just do that. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. oh, you could just do that and like, you know, if you play your cards right and 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 you work you work well around this, like regulatory bodies are actually quite open to it. Now, naturally, they have a lot of leverage. They're quite a powerful entity, right? Quite a powerful uh, political entity, also. But yeah, I, but I agree with you. It's kind of like it's too easy to look at these things like from a purely dystopian angle, and you're like, oh no, that there's actually like a lot of possibility here. And fundamentally, as I say, on the remittances issue, people get scalped. I don't like necessarily the idea of it being Facebook, but the idea of someone stepping in there to make transnational payments not an area for, for pure exploitation. Like, I give them a bit of credit if they could solve that problem. You know, like there's always got to be a bit of room to find what's good about this. Yeah, you know? and political yeah. reality is so far behind being able to even understand what these things. Are are happening for and it's really playing out much more on the infrastructural line than any kind of you know ballot box mm -hmm. um, so being able to say and in broad stroke this border does not exist is an incredibly powerful tool uh, 100% <laughs> I mean, and to add another watchword to this, but when we think of what AI is in like, let's just say a conceptual basis, Walmart or Amazon or Facebook, in a sense, functions in a way like AI. It's a complex network of, right, of, of different markets and metrics that are interacting and where there isn't individual trad political will to actually have a global currency payment system um, or a global solution to the environment or whatever. Mm -hmm. These are the like AI systems in big scare quotes that are actually paving that global network, which could come in handy when we're solving, um, you know, something like how to respond to climate change in a meaningful way, especially when we see one of the major impediments to that, different metric systems, um, I mean, quite literally, but also just, uh, you know, what Germany thinks is green and what Poland thinks is green and what, you know, China thinks is green. It, you have a kind of AI that, that's creating neural pathways for working in a systematic way. So, I mean, big scare quotes around that, but I, I think there's some analogy no, there. No, it's true. I mean, you have a common protocol of, of negotiation across borders, and, and that's the question is, right, like, yeah, it kind of sucks that it would be Facebook. Yeah, totally. There is a history there, right? But at the same time, and this is, again, like, take this with a huge pinch of salt, but you have a very powerful person in Mark Zuckerberg stepping forward and saying, I am really interested in these permissionless systems in which people have control over their own information. I'm really interested in, in connecting the world. Like, why not call their bluff? Yeah. Right? Because some of the good stuff here, I understand why most people, myself included, reads this as a lot of kind of PR hype. But the, a door has been opened. Yeah. Right? A door has been opened. And it's actually quite interesting, I think, to kind of push harder on that. Like, what is your roadmap to make this permissionless. What is your roadmap, right? Like to put power uh, uh, in the hands of the individuals here, like what does this mean for the current existing business model of Facebook that you clearly need to transition away from, right? right. And so like it's a fraught situation, but maybe there is cause for, for some optimism there or maybe renewed tactics in terms of demands that are made on these platforms, right? Yeah. Because win that window has been opened. He said those words, right? Yeah. And looking to all the parts of it that aren't defined yet are the easiest way to get leverage there. Um, I think we should end on a negative note. Um, that's, what is the worst case scenario that can come out of this? Bad hyperstition. Hmm. Dystopian black mirror Libra. 
by the time the climate situation gets very, very bad in like five to 10 years, potentially, there's full kind of digital surveillance of people in the most vulnerable areas. And that that information about their personal identity is already in place to manage what otherwise would be peaceful planned migration or otherwise to be what the upheaval would be. And just social identity and global systems or any sort of standardized global system, you know, seeing like a state, any standardized identity system tends to lead towards its incredible abuse. That sounds really bad. Um, yeah, I, I'd agree. I, I think just any any alignment between what they're kind of proposing uh, with this new kind of uh, 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 payments infrastructure and the traditional business model of Facebook being the ad model. I see like this actually being quite optimistic, being some kind of a subversion of the advertising model. I see that actually being, you know, there's been some indications that that might be there, but any alliance uh, between it and advertising, basically surveillance model, as you, as you, as you, as you pointed out, um, and the way people earn a living, you can think of a gajillion uh, scenarios there that really aren't good. But as I said, as I said before, I think that like, like there's a big opportunity for people to convince you uh, uh, that that is not what's going to happen. Because fortunately now we're in a we are in a situation where regulatory bodies and the general press are very alerted to that possibility. Maybe not to, to the, the level of detail that people at this table might be able to entertain, but th there is a public consciousness about that being a fear. Um, and so really the ball's in their court. There's kind of the onus is on them to kind of disprove that thesis and run as far away from it as possible. So yeah, so some kind of like marriage between those two business models doesn't sound very, very good at all, but I don't, yeah, I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> it's like well, One question then maybe to end this though, we, we just finished watching, <laughs> sorry, we have like five questions to end this, but um, we just finished watching Chernobyl and there's this AZ5 button and you're trying to do a test and everything's really like uh, fucked up and you, you can't save it. You can at least push this button. Is there an AZ5, a proverbial AZ5? Like, is there a point at which like there is a check on Facebook's Libra where like, if it really is going the wrong direction. You know, like my reading on this very much is like I, I read this as like an olive branch to the US government based in this kind of this kind of proxy war. The other interpretation of it, which like I'm prone to entertaining, I think it's just a kind of an interesting thing to model, is just this idea of like, this is a flex. Like Facebook is a state. Yeah. That state yeah. needs right. its own currency. Right. Can it be regulated? Yeah. That because that, Facebook is not yet, I mean like I think most sensible people think that there there needs to be some regulations, particularly around data protections. We haven't seen outside of Germany, like we haven't really seen like a great kind of imposition into that. Um, uh, uh, and so th there's, there's also this kind of big question is like, is there a red button? Like do, do our regulatory bodies have, have the power and scope to be able to regulate if this were to be one big flex, yeah. like one big secessionist move, right? Which I don't necessarily what, think it is, but well, like- what happens if Facebook just buys Blackwater? I mean, then they're, <laughs> then they have a yeah. private army and it's pretty yeah. much a state. And, but what and, happens if someone cuts the inter- uh, continental cables too, or shoots down the satellite, Doesn't Facebook and all have your the, money uh, the is loon, the the drone, the <laughs> internet drone system. Yeah. I'm just playing. Well, that's interesting to raise though, because that was actually a previous play, right? Like in terms of like the unbanked. I mean, yeah. the original idea was like the uncovered, right? The the people who weren't covered by internet internet access was was an old play. So there's a consistent there's a consistent move there. Yeah. Free basics was the right really free basic. title. Yeah. Hey, hey, wow. <laughs> but but I also wonder, you know, like in terms of Facebook stating its um, existence as something in a state-like form. Um, which government actors are they alienating and which government actors aren't they? 
um, because it's definitely, I think, a partial alliance with partial governments rather than across the board. So looking at um, Waters, the Democrat in the U.S., being like, there is no way we will allow them to do the, to start a sovereign currency. And she actually uses that phrase, oh, sovereign wow. currency. Um, so she ends up starting to look like either she wasn't let in on the press release beforehand or maybe has to kind of perform this um, for her, her district. But basically, like, I also question, like, is is Libra the continuation of Davos by other means? Because Davos has a bad rep. Like, who are the actual government players? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing. Is, is I, I wouldn't stake my reputation on this, but, like, if we want to get into late night tin hat, it's like... Which agencies are behind it and which... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, what, like, what... Like, you have... A domestic, a domestic product with deep relationships with, uh, with the highest levels of U.S. government that basically runs a transnational surveillance state doesn't wear, doesn't wear the flag, like isn't necessarily like encumbered by the same expectations of uh, of a state entity, um, and also collects information on billions of people globally. Like, <laughs> why would you want to shut that down? Yeah, like that's, and that I mean, fundamentally, like in my kind of oh uh, yeah whatever like in my like whatever analysis is like why would they regulate this you yeah. know what i mean like like i mean really you have like the ability to subpoena some servers in, in california that have information on like pretty much all global activity like and, and if you have that to do that on like a, a, you know a significant percentage of global financial activity like why would you regulate that as the as the u.s state right also what is preventing the u.s state from just becoming a validator can't they can they create a Spin-off company. I mean, It'll what's be, the what's the CIA yeah. company called that always invests in things? Oh, Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm joking. It's like called Co Intel. Era America. Anyway. America was the one that shipped all the uh, drugs from Cambodia. Oh right. <laughs> during um, Vietnam. Well, there's definitely this one NSA that invests. It in was a plane startups. companies. I know that. Anyway. But, that, well. but the thing is, is like, okay, you could like, it, it sounds very conspiratorial, but then going back to the treasury department, it, it, it intercepting uh, the acquisition of MoneyGram by a Chinese company, like this is very real. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And like yeah. Ripple and Facebook moving into this space, being uh, domestic, uh, domestic U S companies, like this is super real. And clearly there are, there are very powerful people who, who would prefer uh, for those to be domestic companies that are accountable to the U.S. government rather than uh, uh, Chinese companies, yeah, like that—that's yeah. not conspiracy. That's just the yeah. truth, right? And, it, it, and just looking mm-hmm. at the current state of the Fed, like interest rates probably can't go that much lower. All of the stops have been pu- a bit pulled out. You know, isn't it useful to have a Fed that's fully backed to back you up? <laughs> Well, on a positive <laughs> Sorry, note. Uh, scaffolded with wearing my tin hat. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, but, but yeah, it, it's sometimes good to do these things to come down to a, ra- to a reasonable conclusion. But like, yeah, it's, this is real, you know. Mm. I like unreasonable conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I think it's good to remember that the ruling planet of Libra is Venus. Oh, thank, thanks, Carly. Can we, can we please end with that? Please. One last question. No, I'm just kidding. The planet of love. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Matt and Kia, so much for your input. Um, yeah, grateful to have you in Berlin and here at our studio tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Huge thanks to Matt and Kia for joining us. Now, as always, time for shout-outs. First, a big thank you to our Discord members who seeded this conversation with questions. And thank you to all of our listeners and readers who have sent us tips and links. 
The site and the contents of our podcast reflect what you send us as we make this DIY network together. Okay, now shout outs. Taylor Wagstaff, Daniel Beatty, Pascal Schnuli, Alex Iadarola, Nick, who asked us about Satoshi's treasure. No, there are no clues embedded in our logo or any aspect of our site, but good luck. Deanna Rodriguez, Toby Shorin, V. Prudy, Richie Panic, Joseph Christian Greer, Stephanie Wakefield, John Kelsey, Stephen Warwick, Joshua Citarella, Teresa Pachka, Tobias Bickdig, Philip Morgan, Mike Pepe, Brian Paul, Bootleg Wiki, Mike McKay, at Pierce, at Agonism, at Caring, at Utsi, at Chibaco, at Jack T, at Speculative Meme, at Exhumed, at Sara, at Pink Cadillac, at Cody B, at Silas, at Lawrence4000, at Maybe Julia, at Local Man, at Arb, at SWR, at David Y, at Terrence, at CL, at BNZ, at Freudenheim, at Eric LOL, at User27, at MDMA Dealer, at Delete Yourself, and at Crown Shy. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next episode.